Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to 1993. This is Under Consultation, usually an episode by episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. But today it's something a bit more festive. It's our Christmas special of 1993 slash 2020. I am Luke Cohen, your own personal book of dreams. And I know when you've been sleeping. I know when you're awake. I am Ash Versus, and you really should consider closing those curtains. And this is yes, our very first Christmas special that we've ever done. This was your idea, a, a genius idea, as well. I might add, you messaged me saying like, "We'll go through the the Argos catalog book of dreams, and we could talk about what was on TV." And I was like, "That's a brilliant idea, actually." I don't know why we didn't think of doing it earlier. It was an idea that came about for multiple reasons. One of which is because we already covered a Christmas in the timeline. We've got another Christmas that we're going to cover towards the beginning of 2021. But here is a time when we're kind of in the Christmas mood. We've talked a lot about where we were at this point in our lives, but most importantly, you're moving house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So part of the reason I thought of doing this was because it's a nice, easy episode for me to edit. It means you can focus on moving from point A to point B, and it should hopefully be entertaining as we travel back in time 27 years. Oof! Do you know what? Like, and I, I, we kind of talked a bit about this on the uh, the Gladiators podcast we've done for Patreon and on UCP Extra. Uh, of me, like, oh, I can't really remember what I got this, that, and the other. But going through the uh, the Argos Book of Dreams really, really helped clarify a few things. Of being like, oh, well, some of this is really jumping out to me of what I probably got that year. You've taken off the Santa hat. I have taken off the Santa hat, and I don't know if it shows up, but I have a red band <laughs> across my forehead because I've got quite a large head, and most Santa hats tend to be designed for normal people,、uh, <laughs> of which I am not one. But I do have some beers. They're not festive, but they are beers. And also,、nice. Luke, I've got your favourite. Oh, the mince pies! I honestly did not think that when I said 
was it on Discord that I said that I don't like mince pies? I'd kind of been on an episode. No, it was either on Discord or on your personal Twitter feed. But yeah, you claimed, or stated rather, you don't like mince pies. And I do not. Honestly, it was a proper Iron Man versus Captain America <laughs> point. There were the pro mince pies, and then there were the anti mince pies, and then there were those that are ambivalent, but which are being dragged one way or the other because, hey, you know, feuds are fun. This actually came up into my work life uh, because uh, Misha, who's one of our listeners, is one of our Patreon backers, is also a Patreon backer of my day-to-day job. And he sent in a Patreon mailbag question for me to ask my American co-host what she thinks of mince pies. And she had no clue what a mince pie was. And I had to describe to her what a mince pie is. And then you get to the point where you have to say, well, it's pastry filled with mince meat. But and the, oh, meat, it's like, well, no, because it's not actually meat. And then you've got to really explain what the hell is going on. And what was the net outcome of that uh, that discussion? Well, her net outcome was she Googled an image of it. She said, I've never had one, but it probably looks okay. And so uh, pro mince pies have taken that as a big win that they got Denise on side. I mean, it does look okay. I can understand people going, I don't like mince pies. And this is not necessarily you, but there are some people with a real hatred mm-hmm. of, of mince pies. Did a did a beloved aunt or uncle choke to death on one? Where does this 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 come from? I was going to say my position on mince pies is, is if they're offered to me, I just say no. I'm all right, thanks. I'll just have my cup of tea as is. But yeah, I think there are people who like really really hate them, kind of in the same way that people really hate sprouts uh, when it comes to and like uh, sprouts has never been a thing in my household because there's there's four of us in the in the main Owen family. None of us like sprouts, so they just never came up at Christmas. It's only now that I'm married and I'm going to my in-laws for Christmas that the sprout conversation has reared its ugly head. See, I love sprouts. You parboil them and then you pan fry them with chestnuts and some bacon lardons. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that's the only way to do it, really. I mean, I like sprouts just regularly, you know, just regular steamed or boiled. But for Christmas, you've got to have your chestnuts and your bacon. You've got to make sure that that meal has as little nutritional value as possible. (laughs) But anyway, we're going to talk about uh, Christmas 1993. Um, have we decided if we remembered? Because I texted my mum again. We talked about this on the Gladiators podcast. I texted my mum saying, Mum, what did you get me for Christmas 1993? And where were we? And her reply was, how should I know? Or how should I remember? Words to that effect. I've texted again. She still doesn't remember. She's letting the side down, man. She's really letting the side down. This is the I sort know, of right? stuff that mothers are meant to remember because then they're meant to <laughs> embarrass you with it at a later date. Exactly. I didn't ask my mother because I've got a fairly good idea of what I got for Christmas. We can get onto that when we get to the feature of this Mm -hmm. episode, which is going through the 1993 Argos Book of Wonders. Because as a kid, that Argos Book of Wonders, the Argos catalogue was always an amazing item to behold. It was so big and full of so much stuff. But then you got to that special Christmas catalogue, the one that condensed down all the really cool and desirable stuff. And you just leave it around the house, lay out, open on particular pages, just in case. So my brother and I, uh, the way that we would put together our Christmas lists, um, I don't know how you did it when you were a kid, like because I know some people used to write letters uh, to Santa. But the way my brother and I did it is that we would have a piece of paper that was split into a grid of three. And the grid of three would include product name, price, and the SKU code for when you go into Argos so that you don't have to look it up in the Argos catalogue yourself. 
I've already provided you the number so you can just put it onto the sheet of paper and hand it over. And it's fair to say that as an adult, you do love a spreadsheet. <laughs> I do. I do. We're seeing where it began. <laughs> like when I was younger, it was writing a letter to Santa with a very specific set of processes as well, because one of the first films, if not the first film I saw at the cinema, was Santa Claus the Movie mm. with Dudley Moore as Patch and uh, John Lithgow not being a serial killer. If you give extra kisses, you get bigger hugs. Sorry. That's what Santa's wife's always saying. <laughs> anyway, that's all the advertising you'll ever need. It better be. How many workers does this uh, product require? Just me? What? No payroll? Well, my needs are simple. A bowl of stew, heavy on the dill, a cold place to sleep. Mm -hmm. What would it cost? Cost? Cost who? Uh, the people who, who buy the toy. Well, nothing. We're going to give them away free. Oh. Oh, that's fantastic. How do you turn your face so red so fast? For free! It's really weird to go back and watch that now, having seen him in Dexter. Yeah. But I loved that movie when I was super young, and I loved Dudley Moore's character of Patch the Elf. So as a kid, I would write a letter to Santa, and... I wouldn't get a reply, but I would know if I'd been good if four or five days before Christmas, I got a chocolate Santa with a gift tag on it that said it was from Patch the Elf. Oh, that's lovely. That was when I was like five or six. And yeah. looking back, I cannot overstate how much I appreciated the extra mileage my mum went to. Because it would be my mum, because if I saw the handwriting and it was my dad's handwriting, the jig would have been up. Mm. My, 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 my dad has handwriting that almost deserves an honorary doctorate. The handwriting is that bad, he could be a doctor. I'm fairly certain that up until the big reveal, I was writing letters to Santa. After that point, I'm pretty sure my mum just asked me. Yeah. But building up to the Book of Wonders, normally we look at the number one. We will be looking at that when we get to it in the normal timeline. Luke, let's talk Christmas music. Let's get some of your favourites. Okay, so my favourite Christmas song is The Waitresses. I bloody love that song. I, I, I really, really like it. I think it's a fun song. It's great fun to sing along with. I was about to say it's a controversial choice, and it's not really because it's a very popular song, but it's controversial in this household because my wife does not like that song because in her words, it sounds like someone is poking you in the chest while they're singing it. Like, particularly when it's, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, but I think I'll miss this one this year. It, and when it sings it, she'll tap me on the shoulder. It's like, this is what it sounds like to me when I hear this song. I love that there is a physical action to go to go with that. For me, I always had the now Christmas tape. It's got the white cover and it's got the little pictures of like Roy Wood and Paul McCartney yeah. and all that stuff. I've still got it. I've got it on tape and vinyl downstairs. And I'm fairly certain growing up, Slade would have been right up the top merry christmas everybody because it's a raucous joyous song that also reflects what a christmas with a family can actually be like it doesn't go and everyone's nice to each other it does go yeah there's arguments there's bickering it's christmas it's christmas yeah. so that's one then there's roy wood and wizard i wish it could be christmas every day that is just such a big bombastic song mm-hmm 
And so while I was out walking earlier, I put on one of my Christmas playlists. I've already been whammed this year. I've already gone to Whamhalla, so that was included. And I was thinking, what is my favourite Christmas song right now? And I think it's got to be Elton John, Step, Step, Step into, Christmas. into Christmas. And I was listening to it, and I was really listening to the lyrics. And there is a verse in this that I think nicely sums up what we're doing with this episode. Yeah. So I'm going to modify it slightly. Take care in all you do next year and keep smiling through the days. If we can help to entertain you, oh, we will find the ways. So Merry Christmas one and all. There's no place we'd rather be than asking you if you'd oblige stepping into Christmas 1993. Very nice. Your favourite song is The Waitresses. Mm -hmm. What song do you hate hearing? What What Christmas song do you hear that immediately turns you into Mr. Grinch. I love Christmas. I've got a Christmas playlist that has got like all of my favorite Christmas songs. I've been curating it for the last 10 or so years and just putting together like all of the songs that I really, really enjoy. Very, very varied. Uh, I absolutely love it. But I don't know if there is a Christmas song. I suppose it's because it's just, it's not my cup of tea, but I don't like it. And it's Cliff Richard, Mistletoe and Wine. Oh no, that, that can get in the fire. That, that absolutely can. <laughs> Not because mistletoe and wine. I actually think the structure of it is quite nice, and particularly the bit where it's got the offset with uh, the young boy singing. Mm -hmm. I don't like it because it's Cliff Richard. And that and the Millennium Prayer, they they can just get in the sea. Get in the bin. Now, recently we've had our musical difference of opinions. We certainly have. Krista Berg. Oh, really? Satan's arsehole. I hate Christopher. <laughs> Do you like Christopher or are you... I, I, I am indifferent to Christopher, really. But but that's but I actually quite like that song. A Spaceman Came Travelling. I love it because it's a science fiction song. Yeah. It's going, hey, what if Jesus was an alien? Yeah. And so while Lady in Red can be another one to get in the sea, Spaceman Came Travelling... There's something about it, and it's not even actually de Berg's voice. The entire production has this very weird ethereal quality and instrumentation. It sounds very dated, but so unique. There is not another Christmas song that sounds like it. My uh, my wife and I were driving back from my in-laws uh, quite recently. We were listening to the Christmas playlist, and both Slade and Wizard uh, came on. Because of course they do, because that's, that's part of every single person's Christmas playlist. As well they should be. And I suddenly turned uh, to my wife and I said, we are nearing a point where these songs are 50 years old. And that is quite startling, but also standing the test of time. Slade still charts to some degree at Christmas. It's the song that means Noddy Holder doesn't have to work. It's why Noel Gallagher said in an interview once, if you could have written any song in history, what would you have written? He said, Merry Christmas, everyone, because I'd never have to write another song again. Before we move on from music, the one thing I did want to ask you, though, is where do you stand on All I Want for Christmas is You? I was really hoping you wouldn't bring this up, because I don't have much street cred. I think it's grown on me, kind of like a callus or a polyp or something else. A growth. Mm -hmm. I can't stand the video. The video does my nut in. I just, I have to walk away. But if I'm out and about shopping and I don't have headphones jammed on, because normally I'm trying to avoid going to Whamhalla, but I got caught on the 2nd of December this year. If it comes on, I'm tapping my toe. I maybe got a bit of a bounce in my step, and I hate myself for it a bit. 
uh, you know, I was uh, a metal kid. I was the kid at school that got bullied because he wore uh, hoodies with corn on them. You know, I, I was that kid at school. So I, I almost had to take the stance that I don't like that song because that, that, that's the image that I had. Can't like Mariah Carey, All I Want For Christmas Is You. Of course I can't. I like Limp Bizkit. That's, that's the kid I am. But, oh man, it's a, it's a belting track. I absolutely love it. If it comes on, we'll just belt it out. We will try and hit all of the notes because Mariah Carey does decide to do every single note throughout the song. And we try to keep up. We try to keep pace. Fail every single time, but have a lovely time doing so. And we're watching um, Gogglebox last week because Mariah Carey just recently did an Apple TV special Mm. where... She sang it, obviously, you know, to, to kind of wrap the whole thing up and, and finish it. And I just started singing along again. I was singing along with people watching the show and also singing along. That's meta, right? Anyway, moving on from our very, very divergent talk about music, let's talk Christmas television 1993, Luke. Mm-hmm, indeed it is. Yeah, you found that an entire lineup of Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and as we discovered while we were recording the Gladiators podcast... What we thought was Boxing Day, but was actually Christmas Sunday. I was actually just just scrolling, just saying, okay, Boxing Day, Monday the 27th, da 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 da. Oh man, 20 past 7, Tom and Jerry Kids. <gasps> 7.45, Valley of the Dinosaurs. <gasps> 12 past 8, Galaxy High School. <gasps> 5 to 9, The Legend of Zelda. And then Tom and Jerry Kids again. Oh mate, like that from there. That's a two hour block of lovely animated loveliness. Oh, was that, I'm guessing that was ITV. That's very much ITV, yeah. To BBC One for some positively magical entertainment. A pure genius. And a pure genius. On the Christmas Generation game at five to seven. Did you mean that? At eight. She's the Red October. Captain's name is Ramius. It is designed to approach by stealth and to shower its target with multiple independent warheads with little or no warning before impact. At ten past ten, Lenny Henry finds himself in deep water. We're marooned on the only fragment of dry ground in Wiltshire, a slurry lagoon in front of us, quicksand to either side and a quagmire behind, and you announce that you're afraid we might get stuck. We are stuck! Another chef finds himself in trouble at five past eleven in porridge. Why is your head standing to attention, Godfather? Good job we didn't look under me at. With the Midnight Eucharist at 11.35, add some sparkle to your Christmas Eve on BBC One. I was starting on Christmas Eve because that's when Christmas proper started for you as a kid. There would be presents under the tree. That was the anchor point. And I'm looking on it and I'm just thinking, this is so-so on the BBC. What have we got? The Teddy Bear's Christmas. Ooh, Defenders of the Earth on BBC One. Fine. And I'm scrolling down. Barney, Play Days. Ooh, it was the tent stop. The tent stop was one of the better ones. I mean, it definitely was. Although you want to talk about niche TV programming. Someone do a Play Days <laughs> podcast. That'll be it. <laughs> I would listen. So would I. a.m., The Land Before Time. When Land Before Time was just a singular movie. But then sometime after that, and in the afternoon, Big Top Pee-Wee on BBC Two. Although, if you want to stick around on BBC One at 2pm, you've got Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Now that is one to sit around with the nan. That's an easy family settler. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Bed Knobs and Broomsticks, Mary Poppins... It's inoffensive for the whole family. And as long as you keep the volume down, you can play on your Game Boy without upsetting the grandparents. 
Exactly, yeah. Stop staring at that little screen. Stare at this little screen instead. <laughs> but 510, a double bill of Maid Marion and her merry men on BBC One. Description here is double bill starring Tony Robinson. Tony Robinson, uh, the lead actor of that show. Yes, never mind Maid Marion, <laughs> aka Kate Lonergan, who, I mean, uh, this is TV listings from 1993 at its peak. <laughs> But we've also got Bruce Forsyth's Christmas Generation game and yep. the best Russian Scottish submarine captain in the world at 8 pm, The Hunt for Red October. I love that film. And amazingly, we are going to have some music that we can put as bed music for this bit because we talked about The Hunt for the Red October when we talked about the Super Scope because we found out when we did that episode with Matthew there was a game based on Hunt for the Red October released. As we go towards the end of BBC Two, and this is one of my favourite things about this time of year, is you lose a lot of the regular programming. And particularly when it comes to late night, which is when they would repeat some of the regular programming, they've got time to fill. And some of my early exposure to cult classics and horror movies came from the Christmas period, because at 1.05am on BBC Two, they're showing The Fly. Not the Cronenberg Fly, the Vincent Price Fly. And I know that this was the first time I saw this movie. I set a video to record it. Oh, no way. Oh, that's so cool. I'm assuming you watch it on Christmas Day. It would have been a Boxing Day, I think. I don't think I would have had time Christmas Day. That now you're asking, but it was definitely something I recorded at this time. Over on ITV, they've got the new adventures of He-Man. We've got the seventh voyage of Sinbad at 9.55am. And at 1.55pm, Luke... Daffy Duck's Quackbusters. I would have 100% been watching that. And at 3.25, Jim Varney, he's back. It's Ernest Saves Christmas, a movie I'm fairly confident I saw at the cinema. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Movies, games and videos on at 10 past five as well. That would have been more a show that I definitely would have been wanting to watch. Because that's three things I love. And that was its second iteration, because originally it was just movies, movies, movies. There's nothing more than movies, Luke. <laughs> but I, I don't think it's a great lineup. For, for ITV, for Christmas Eve, I'm afraid. I mean, no, we've got Satan's arsehole himself, Cliff Richard, at 10.20pm on the South Bank show. I suppose running opposite The Fly, they've got The Alamo. So I'm definitely watching or recording The Fly. Mm-hmm. What about Channel 4? Now, Channel 4 should have something good for us. I mean, well, they got saved by the bell after The Big Breakfast. Now, nah, let's look before The Big Breakfast, Luke. 6.30am, if you're up at that time on a Christmas Eve, you've got Ulysses, baby. <laughs> the 31st century. Ulysses killed the giant Cyclops when he rescued the children and his son Telemachus. But the ancient gods of Olympus are angry and threaten a terrible revenge. Mortals, you defy the gods. I sentence you to travel among unknown stars. Until you find the kingdom of Hades, your bodies will stay as lifeless as stone. Ulysses, the way back to Earth has been wiped from my memory. You are alive, my son. <laughs> Ulysses 31 is a show that comes up so much. You know, I, I talk about like, this was a great theme uh, from my childhood. I, usually when I see it, like Bucky O'Hare or Darkwing Duck or something like that. Guaranteed someone messaged me being like, don't sleep on Ulysses 31 as a corking theme song. And especially because the music is the same for the English and the French version. The main difference being, other than obviously the language, is the varying lyric on the English is Ulysses. On the French version, 
It's Yuli. It, it, it stops a lot shorter because of the difference in translation. Okay, so during the morning, we've got a couple of repeats of Grim Tales with Rick Mail, which was... But then, in the afternoon, 5.05pm, Monster Maker. Why don't you believe in me? I do, I do. Look as close as you like. You're not dreaming now. Look! <laughs> Chance you didn't create me. You did. How? In your dreams, you've got the talent. It's a gift. It marks you out. Does it? Yes. This is what was broadcast in America as part of the Jim Henson Hour. And if you've ever seen a Jim Henson-related clip of a kid talking to a giant animatronic dragon, where it's actually clearly an animatronic dragon because the pistons and everything are still visible, that's what Monster Maker is. It's stuck in my head since before this, since it was originally made, as being absolutely terrifying because it's about a kid who's obsessed with special effects and movie making. And watching it as a kid, I was like, that's me. <laughs> and then he's terrorised by a giant animatronic dinosaur. Put me off a bit. Following that, we're in the Ed Tudor Pole era here, but it's the Crystal Maze Kids Special. That is a show that you're going to watch and be like, kind of like Games Master or Funhouse. I want to be one of those kids. Again, on the bucket list for when we can get out of this Crystal Maze live experience, because, you know, it, it's a lot of fun, Luke. It, it, oh, I'd imagine so, yeah. Other than that, Channel 4 is also fairly so-so. It's not yeah. a, It's not a cracking Christmas Eve lineup. BBC, I think, definitely wins this. Hunt for Red October, followed by Chef. I, I would say because that's, that, that feels like a much bigger film that, than anything else that, that, that Channel 4 and ITV have got on. But I don't think it is. It, it's not a strong lineup from, from particularly anyone. Although, although, you know, Hunt for Red October is pretty great. And actually, like 1990, this might have even been the premiere. It might have been. I'm not sure, because normally when it's premiere, it does say premiere, like White Palace, which is showing on BBC Two, starring Susan Sarandon oh, and James yeah, Spader, you're right. yeah, yeah. says premiere. So this would be second run, maybe, but a fairly recent second run. Yeah, if you don't have it on VHS, you're not seeing it otherwise. Oh, hi. Just writing to Father Christmas. Dear Santa, please give me a super Christmas show that will once again prove that there are some wonderful people in this world. I'd like to give them some special gifts in unusual places. Lots of love, Noel. Pass out to Santa, would you please? Thank you. Noel's Christmas presents delivered today at ten past three on BBC One. But moving on to Christmas Day, which is an interesting day because for the most part, you're not watching anything before, like, maybe the Queen's speech, really. That, that's where a no. lot of family viewing started. Yeah, no, I'm with you on this one as well, because I don't think there's a lot of TV watching that's getting done on Christmas Day um, until you sort of sit down. And even then, you might actually sit down in the afternoon to watch whatever film that you got on VHS that year. Unless, of course, there is a really good film that's going to be airing, like that you that you do need to sit down and, and check out. But I would wager a lot of this, like a, a lot of stuff that gets in this is just filler, you know, like there's an episode of Dad's Army that's on here. There's the Christmas comedy cracker with the two Ronnies. There's just stuff that you can essentially fill the day with because you're not going to get huge viewing figures at this point until the evening kicks in. But you know what is on? 5.35 on BBC Two. Wallace and Gromit's Grand Day Out. It is, and earlier in the day, they also had a behind-the-scenes of the wrong trousers. 
It's an animated Christmas on BBC Two. It's my turn for breakfast this morning, Gromit. Yes, Wallace and Gromit are back. In a strange tale of the wrong trousers. Which features a pilfering penguin. What do you think of that then, Gromit? Action, suspense. Hang in there, Gromit. Everything's under control. Thrills and spills in the wrong trousers today at 5.20 on BBC Two. Man, I've got such vivid memories of that first airing and sitting down and watching it and absolutely like just we we taped it off the telly as well so we had a vhs copy of it and i would have imagined we'd have taped this version of grand day out because i i absolutely loved wallace and gromit when i was a kid i say when i was a kid i actually watched the wrong trousers quite recently and it holds up brilliantly all the wallace and gromit shorts do i'm still not sure about curse of the were rabbit no. <gasps> no no by comparison to the original shorts like the shorter movies. Okay. Like, I put this way, if you ask me to pick between any of them, I would probably pick The Wrong Trousers as being the pinnacle of Wallace and Gromit from yeah. a storytelling and a technological point of view because that entire train sequence is it's remarkable. just some of the best stop-motion animation you will see, bar none, because by the time we got to Curse of the Were-Rabbit computers were starting to make themselves felt and pretty much everything done in the wrong trousers and Grand Day Out, it was all optical. It was all done in camera. You can see the fingerprints. Literally, you can see the fingerprints. I was, I was going to say, I just double-checked. Wrong trousers, it's on BBC Two on uh, Boxing Day. Ah, there we go. So it's a very Wallace and Gromit Christmas. But I'm just taking a look at all the channels. I've taken a look at ITV. I'm taking a look at Channel 4. Channel 4 showing the snowman because it's Christmas and they always will. I bet you they're showing it this year. Channel 4 aren't really trying for the most part. It's all repeats, reruns, and a couple of documentaries. ITV, they're showing the never-ending story at 3.05. A never-ending story. They've also got What's Up Doc airing at 10.40am, so they're going head-to-head with Live and Kicking. Which obviously doesn't mean we also get Chip and Dale, Darkwing Duck. So you get some really good stuff, you just, you wouldn't, I, I never would have seen it. No. Certainly not on Christmas Day. Like, Christmas Day, I'm playing with the toys that I've already opened three hours earlier. Oh, I'm waiting to open the toys, much more regimented in our household. 6pm, they've got National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which at 6pm is going to be a very heavily edited for TV version of that. 8pm, it's Kevin Costner, Field of Dreams, 9.55, DOA. That does have a little video game connection for us because the directors of that movie was Rocky Morton and Annabelle Jenkel, who directed the Super Mario Brothers movie. And they actually got the Super Mario Brothers movie off the back of DOA and Max Headroom. Lest, lest we not forget, the Mario Brothers movie also at one point were courting the directors of The Killing Fields. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's what you think of when you think of Mario. But the BBC, start from 2pm, Top of the Pops Christmas 93. Yep. That's going to be a cracker. There's going to be meatloaf on there, if nothing else. 3 o'clock pm, The Queen, because it's Christmas Day, that's fine. But then Noel's Christmas presents, because Noel Edmonds is ubiquitous with the BBC at this point. He's got his house party and all that deal. 4.05pm, Luke. Back to the Future Part 3. Great films for Christmas. Back to the Future Part 3. Oh, no! Great Scott. I know, this is heavy. Absolutely taping that. 100% taping that. 
6.05pm, Only Fools and Horses Christmas Special. That'd be a new one. That's running for nearly 85 minutes. That's also going to be essential Christmas viewing, at least for my family. Loved Only Fools and Horses in that household. Oh, we were in Only Fools and Horses household, absolutely. BBC One, this Christmas, the best value anywhere. The ski gear. All this equipment here is manufactured by the one country that leads the world in alpine clothing, namely Fiji. All hearted, Derek. Cutting the ball for charity. He's trying to save Wales. Not after the way they beat us at rugby last year. Christmas Day is only fools and horses at five past six on BBC One. Bit of Christmas supper at 7.30 because EastEnders, nah, not at that point. 8pm, birds of a feather, that's definitely going on. But then 9.10pm, I'm probably sent off to bed or to play with the toys in my bedroom because it's Ghost. Patrick <sighs> Swayze, Demi Moore and Whoopi Goldberg. That is a premiere as well. It is a premiere. That's a sexy film, Luke. I just uh, had a quick Google to find out what the uh, Christmas special was of Only Fools and Horses in 1993. Thankfully, BritishClassicComedy.co.uk has got us sorted here. Raquel is frustrated with Dell, who is spending his evenings at the casino, frequently returning past midnight. Rodney raises her concerns to Dell, who explains he is brokering a deal to get hold of some Russian ex-military camcorders. Meanwhile, Rodney and Cassandra decide to try and have a baby. The Russian ex-military is clearly where the tension and drama hold because shenanigans will ensue. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. 11.10pm for anyone still biting off the tryptophan from the turkey. It's the Morecambe and Wise Christmas show. And then 12.25am, I will put money down that I recorded this one as well. It's The Hound of the Baskervilles starring Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. This was right at the time when I was really beginning to take an interest in film as not just something that's current. Mm. Like I was being introduced to Hammer by my dad and that would include anything starring Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. We're not that far off when I first saw Quatermass and the Pit, which terrified me. Oh, yeah. Christmas Sunday and look what Christmas presents we have for you. It's a Songs of Praise special from Wembley with Gloria Gaynor and Cliff Richard. Everyone's going on their Christmas holes this year, but will Hyacinth actually make it? <laughs> then Santa's little helper... ..is in need of a little help. It's an emergency. It's me ears. We don't do plastic surgery, mate. From ears to one foot in the Algarve. The last time I had a holiday abroad, I found a house had been demolished. Oh, yes. you can laugh about it now, can't <laughs> Then Clint Eastwood is a desperate man. Hell, that's where he's headed. Might as well ride along with us. Hell, everybody else is. Come along for the ride. Christmas Sunday on BBC One. And then we have this strange bastard of Christmas Sunday, which I'm looking down, and other than a Muppet Family Christmas, and oh, God, Superman 3. Yeah, Superman 3's on there. Got some more festive specials, keeping up appearances, one foot in the Algarve. Over on BBC Two, we've got Unplugged Rod Stewart, and I know my mother would have been watching that. That was at 10.45. Wrong trousers uh, there at 5.20. Oh, love it. ITV on Christmas Sunday, as is discussed in our Patreon episode, we've got the Battle of Gladiators, or the Battle of the Gladiators. TV listings from 37 years ago, you're wrong. 8am, Captain Planet and the Planeteers. He is a hero, and he is going to take pollution down to zero. Ooh, at 12.30pm, we had the Bugs Bunny Mystery Special. Do you know what's special about it, Luke? No, what was that? Oh, it's a mystery. (laughs) 
Oh my god, 4.55pm, Sequest DSV. ITV just weren't even trying this year. <laughs> we did have a tribute to Les Dawson in the evening just before yeah. Agatha Christie's Poirot. I might have seen a tribute to Les Dawson. Interesting one at 2am, and I'm, I'm not sure if this is just the formatting of the page, but they've got the blob and they've noticed it as a premiere. Do you think that's the the 88 blob? That is definitely the 88 blob. I did actually check that out because I noticed that. Oh, okay. And that, yeah, that would be Frank Darabont's The Blob. Yes. Which is an amazing film. And much like John Carpenter's The Thing, the original is good. The remake is so far ahead of it. Far superior. Channel 4's a low-key winner, I think. They've got in their morning The Adventures of Super Mario Brothers cartoon, Super Dave, The Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog, and at 9am, the Muppets celebrate Jim Henson. For Fozzie, these might inspire some ideas for the tribute number. These are real letters oh, from Jim's fans. Oh, boy. Oh, read some. Read, read it. Should I? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 All right, see, it says, uh, Dear Kermit, my cousin Diane has a pet frog and she named him Kermit. <laughs> and he could say, Hi, just like you. Aww, uh, isn't that sweet? Yeah, really I feel very sorry that your best friend Jim died. What? Died? Jim died? And then saved by the bell after that as well. That sounds like a really, really good little run uh, of animation and stuff. And bear in mind, you know, this is 1993, so I'm mad into my games. So I'd have been well into Mario Brothers and Sonic, even if it is adventures. Boxing Day Monday on BBC One and at seven trouble down south for Ian McShane with an old friend from Dallas. What's my little sister been telling you? About what? Then at 8.35, Close Encounters. Oh, yes. Aliens, is it? Are you totally deranged? A whiff of dangerous comedy at 9.25. As John Cleese heads an all-star cast in a fish called Wanda. Don't call me stupid. Then at 10 past 11, in a special concert of hope recorded on World AIDS Day, George Michael tops the bill at Wembley Arena. Boxing Day Monday on BBC One. We finally get to Boxing Day, because God almighty, we've had that extra day in there. Well, in BBC Two, you've got Vic and Bob's Comedy Box selection and you've got Shooting Stars at 9 o'clock. I was going to say, we've got At Home with Vic and Bob at 7pm. And I think this might have been a themed evening where they were programming BBC Two because 7.05pm, you got the best of Rutland weekend television. Bob's new hairstyle at 7.30pm, mm -hmm. a Dad's Army Christmas sketch, which I think was one of those things that they discovered in the same African television vaults as a bunch of Doctor Who stuff. 7.55pm, the Bra Men, which is Vic and Bob again from The Smell of Reeves and Mortimer. You're looking up a bra. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mere Cash United, and then, yes, Vic and Bob's comedy selection at 8.30, Slayed at Christmas, which was definitely a mainstay of The Smell of Reeves and Mortimer, Shooting Stars, Mulligan and O'Hare. Oh, my God. What Can we get this? Does anyone out there have this <laughs> Vic and Bob-themed night? Because this looks great. <laughs> welcome to our home, ladies and gentlemen, this Christmas. Yes, welcome indeed. Why a home, you may ask? Well, partly shelter, partly warmth, and partly social convention. But, 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 but Bob, what? really, more than all of that, it's an address for our various bogus welfare claims. Nefarious, every one of them. Yeah, this is a really, really good evening. Certainly better than the BBC, where from 5.40pm until 7pm, we're not even going to say what was on, but then we've got <laughs> in love, Joy. Yeah. And the last of the summer wine. Last of the summer wine, dangerously close to the watershed. I'm wondering exactly what Compo was up to in that episode. 9.25pm, 
a film that I might have seen but probably wouldn't have understood a lot of the jokes in. It's A Fish Called Wanda. And then followed by The Princess of Wales' Concert of Hope. Uh, introduced by Bowie, including performances from George Michael, Katie Lang, Mick Hucknall, and others recorded at Wembley Arena earlier in 93. I mean, at least you get some Bowie in there. Over on ITV, it's same old, same old. 9.25am, you get Disney's Dumbo. But you can tell it's a proper Boxing Day, Luke, because 4.10pm on ITV, it's a Bond film. It's the man with the golden gun. But at 5.15, you've got to stop that for a good 20 minutes, because we do have to do the news. And then we'll get you back to Bond. And better than that, it's a premiere at 8.45pm. It's Police Academy 6, City Under Siege. <laughs> Your favourite force is on a roll. Making us look like a bunch of fools. In this city, crime will take a back seat. Once they're behind the wheel. That was very exciting. Well, I mean, it is a premiere. I mean, looking at Channel 4, there isn't a huge amount going on. So I would say that the winner for Boxing Day has got to be BBC Two. I think we're going to take a quick break there. Uh, we'll have a quick commercial break. Um, throw it out to our podcast advertisers. Thanks, guys. Merry Christmas. And we'll be back the other side because I think it's time for us to dive in, Ash. I think it's time to get into our big feature. It's time for us to look into the Book of Wonders. A few friends around last night, Mum. Uh, one or two. Yeah, you're going to need a hand. Oh, is that an offer? Thanks. Here's the flash. What's wrong with this? Race ya. You're on. Even in water, flash is faster on this tough, greasy stuff. Come on, give me some welly. How to do that? Go on. You've done this before. That's great, Mum. I'll use Flash after my party. What party? Flash. Cleans greasy grime in half the time. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Dad's Doorstep Challenge. You know, with Dad's whiteness and value, you can't go wrong. Oh! Oh! The Dad's Doorstep Challenge stops right here until the dog is secured. 
An extremely good morning. It's all right, no, we're not going to mind it. Whatever you do, don't touch the dog. You know, one of the one things I wasn't going to do is touch the dog. Some of these doors. Yeah, yeah. Oh! Mate, oh! 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 If I was Steve, <laughs> the woman next door, yeah. I'll go there. Hiya. Oh, go away! Ah, well, folks, with Des, you know it'll be all white on the night. designed for today's engines to actually stop harmful carbon deposits clogging up your car's heart, keeping it pumping cleaner. And a clean engine means less harmful exhaust gases, which is better for you, for your car, and for him. <laughs> Wolf is saying how much he likes Gladiator Jewel and Gladiator figures. They're from Hornby! The Sweet Shop Super Sale starts December the 27th. Huge savings on the entire range of fabric and leather suites, like this luxurious America leather suite at just £1,799. By now, and there's not a penny to pay until July 94. There's up to three years interest-free credit and no deposit, plus at least £100 part exchange on your old suite. Just arrived, the Rosa, luxury leather, direct from Italy at only £799. With offers like these, you can't afford to miss the Sweet Shop Super Sale. So we're back from the commercials. I've had another mince <laughs> pie. I've got another beer. And now, Luke, it's time for what I guess is the main event of this ramshackle Christmas podcast, which is where we go over the Argos Book of Wonders. Now, we've drawn up some categories ahead of time, and we've picked five gifts each that we would like ourselves, two gifts each that we worry we would get. Mm -hmm. Like the grandparent gift where they've completely misjudged you as a person. And then two presents that we would get for each other. Yes, which is the bit I'm very interested to do uh, to get into because I think the two that I've picked out, I'm almost certain are going to be on your list anyway. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. That just means you've read me well as a character. Yes, indeed. So, Luke, what is the first pick that you would like? Not only is this something that I, I would have wanted, this is something that I know for a fact I got uh, on, on this Christmas. And it is on page five, about halfway down, there is a bedspread there. One of them is Jurassic Park, but the one next to it is a Sonic the Hedgehog-themed duvet set. It's the one with the uh, sort of black and blue checkerboard, and you've got Sonic the Hedgehog up the side, and you've got this picture of Sonic doing a big old like running jump sort of thing and he's got the speed marks behind him the pillow's got Sonic the Hedgehog written on it and I would say this duvet set is not quite as blue as this image would have you believe unless of course I had a slightly different one mine was way more black than it was blue but I definitely did get this duvet set now there were three duvet sets listed there you mentioned Jurassic Park there's also a Captain Scarlet one which I will say doesn't look quite as neat, but the artwork on it is way more complicated. That's a proper book cover kind of artwork. The Sonic is the best of the three, I think, because it's an uncomplicated pattern. But unlike the Jurassic Park one, it does actually feel like it was designed. 
The Jurassic Park one is just the Jurassic Park logo with the words Jurassic Park repeated over and over and over at a 45 degree angle. It is reversible though. You've got the other side of it. It's got a much more intricate design. Um, and also it has got that lovely tree line with the sunset, which I absolutely adore from the, the Jurassic Park marketing. I would have picked to display the reversible side, I think, because honestly, the one they chose, the main one they chose that you know we just described, it looks boring. Mm-hmm. It looks just really shonky advertising shovelware, really. So uh, that's my first pick. What have you got next? I'm going to start with my odd one out because, of course, we're looking at a 1993 catalogue at a time we were both children or teenagers. So we would be largely looking at the toys, at the games, at the video games, at all that stuff. However, on page 14, Mm -hmm. a Breville multi-snack and sandwich toaster. Toasted snacks absolutely delicious. Yum yum. They're made in a trice. You take some bread slices and add any filling you wish. Yum yum. Just add any filling you wish. Today, the Breville snack and sandwich toaster with unique scissor action is just as popular as ever. Whether you use the compact four slice, the family eight slice, or the all-new Breville chapel maker, they love those snacks absolutely delicious. Yum yum. From Breville, the better ideas people. You know what, Luke? <laughs> A sandwich toaster. Do you know how you make a sandwich better? You toast it, mate. You toast it. I love a sandwich I, toaster. I nearly had this down as the gift to get you from, <laughs> from this catalog. That is a great toasty maker. My favourite toasty to have is one that my brother used to do, which is uh, beans and cheese. Oh. You should have it with a knife and fork, because if you bite into that and the molten lava bean juice gets onto your face or into your mouth, it's so hot. It, it, it's a danger. It, it's like in Aliens, when they shoot the alien, when it's trying to get into the vehicle and it splashes back onto them. That's the temperature of that bean juice. There are very, very few sandwiches that cannot be improved by a sandwich toaster. For a smart ass that's about to go, a uh, salad sandwich, yeah, obviously, you don't grill lettuce. But cheese and marmite sandwich, slap it in a toaster, mate. Cheese and ham sandwich, mm-hmm. that's borderline cuisine. <laughs> we used to have a sandwich toaster when I was a kid and it broke and it never got replaced because my parents hated cleaning it. Um, yeah, oh, it's a pain in the ass to clean. New ones are better because they got the removable mm-hmm. plates and you throw them in a dishwasher. Easy. Yeah. Oh, do you know what? I'm moving into a new house. I think I'm going to get myself a toasty. I'm going to get myself a little toasty maker. Hey, mate, just saying, housewarming gifts around the corner. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to jump a, a couple of pages ahead. Uh, I'm going to page 17 on my one here. And I'm looking at the electronic section. I'm looking at all of the various different hi-fis. Now, you see uh, item number 27, that Alba CD player with the tape deck? My eye was immediately drawn to it because I thought, this is where he's going. That would have been what I got. And I'm almost certain that is probably the sort of stereo that I had. You see the little um, radio above it, the little uh, the Bush radio thing? Yeah. I think my dad still has that and is still using it to this day because, in his own words, it gets the best reception for Radio 5 Live. My dad is convinced that the radio reception he gets of Radio 5 Live on his portable radio is better than a digital one. I mean, I'm not saying he's wrong. He probably is. I've never met yeah. your dad. <laughs> but but also there's perception of the mind's eye. I mean, I tell him categorically that he's likely wrong. Now, anyway, so this Alba is what I would have got because it's a lovely little compact disc player. It's got a tape deck in it. 
But what I would have wanted is that big son of a bitch at the top left corner, though. Ooh, the big Alba. Oh, it's got the big speakers. It's got two tape decks on it, so you can do recording on there. It's got absolutely all the bells and whistles. That right there, I would have listed, I want this one on my Christmas list, and I would have got the other one. Not to say that the other one is bad, because the other one is great, but oh, that one with all the bells and whistles, that's got all the trimmings. See, I would have also probably put this Albert on my list. In fact, this was on my list of five things I'd have wanted. I didn't get it this year. I didn't get it next year, but I think around 95, and it would have been birthday or Christmas, I did get a box like that. It was much bigger. I think it was a Philips. It was Philips or Panasonic, and it had the flip lid CD on the top, and it did have two tape decks. So I could do tape to tape or CD to tape. But for those tape to tapes, it had high speed dubbing. I could could (gasps) clone the tape in half the time, Luke. I didn't get a CD player till much, much later. Probably sort of 95, 96, maybe when I got my first CD player. But what I did have is the one that my parents got rid of, which was a big sum bitch that had uh, two tape decks on it and a CD deck, but also a record player on the top. And I used to lo- I, doing the tape to tape recording, going down to the library and um, uh, taking out just William books on audio cassette, taking those home, plugging it in, taping those to my own copy, and then you know returning the, uh, the which I'm pretty sure pretty sure is illegal. But either way, that's what we did in the '90s. We just used to borrow things from the library, copy it to tape, then take it back. Oh, remember, Luke, tape to taping is going to kill the record industry. <laughs> yeah, it's not Spotify at all, is it? I was desperate to have something that was just, I think, a bit bigger and a bit more boombox here. I think I did have like a cassette radio player at this point, a hand-me-down one. I think it came from an uncle. So it was great for listening to audiobooks. I loved audiobooks, so I don't think I'd have been just William. I was a few years ahead of you on that one. I was listening to The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I think I'd already made my way through the BBC Lord of the Rings adaptation at that point. But also I was discovering my classic comedy, so I'd started to get out Hancock's Half Hour and The Goon Show. But it was all library stuff. The library was just a wealth of of content for me, particularly on tapes. The treasure trove. I loved audio plays. I loved radio plays. I loved radio comedy. Still do. But no, so I'm absolutely with you on that one. But that does mean, right back at you, what's your next pick? This isn't what I've got down on my my actual list, but I do want to point out on page 18 there, we talked about like the, the Jungle Book being re-released on VHS when we did the the jungle the, the episode that had the Jungle Book challenge. Mm-hmm. That's the Jungle Book VHS I had. And I don't know if I got it for this Christmas, but I would wager that I did. As well as that Peter Pan copy as well, actually. I'm pretty sure. Like, I definitely have Peter Pan on VHS. And I, I think it's definitely... It's, the, it's those two designs. It's the Walt Disney Classics line and that particular way yeah. of presenting it. Absolutely. Now, you'd think, because we're entering into the toy zone here on page 19, that this page of Sega stuff is where my eye would be drawn to, right? Because you've got your six-button pads on there, you've got your Master Systems, you've got your Game Gears, you've got your Menaces. But the game that I, that really jumped out to me, because it's a game that I absolutely adore, it's down on page 23. Have you got a guess? No, it's not Skitchin. <laughs> no, Skitchin is not on the list. I don't think Skitchin's actually out yet. Okay, now you're going to have to go. I was looking at page 22 and I thought you were going to go Rocket Knight Adventures. Possibly not to throw you off. Um, I was looking at the NES section, which is like, there's oh, Echo the Dolphin, I definitely would have wanted, and Aladdin. But Darkwing Duck on the NES oh. is a 
absolutely corking game that we've not really had much of a chance to talk about on this podcast. So I'm actually literally just using this as an excuse to talk about Darkwing Duck. Capcom made some amazing licensed platformers. I mean, Mm -hmm. DuckTales. Yeah, absolutely. DuckTales 2, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. Uh, They had an absolute slew of quality games. You can get them all on the PS4 now, and I would highly recommend you do so in the Disney Afternoon Collection. If not just for DuckTales, which is a cracking game, but for Darkwing Duck, which is basically Mega Man, but with Darkwing Duck instead, it's absolutely... Oh, it's, it's so good. It's such a great game. Cannot recommend it enough. And I, I was a big Darkwing Duck kid. I was a big, big fan. I didn't have an NES, so I wouldn't have been able to play this game, but I would have been looking at that being like, oh, I just want to play it. I did eventually get it for the Game Boy. Um, so but I'm pretty sure secondhand. But yeah, Darkwing Duck is a game that I absolutely adore. From the Mega Drive version, though, you're absolutely right. Rocket Knight Adventures. That, I mean, I've got it set on my desk right here. That is a great, great game. See, for my next choice, we're going to skip ahead to page 26. And I hope those of you that have also tracked down a 1993 copy of the Argos <laughs> Christmas catalogue are playing along at home. Item number five. Tommy's okay. Screwball Scramble. Trust Tommy for Screwball fun with Screwball Scramble. Make your way through an amazing maze. Playing against the clock, it's a tough test of skill. Nerve, steady, you've won. For Screwball fun, it's Screwball Scramble. I had that down on my list, Screwball Scrabble. Oh, that was one of your choices for yourself. It was one of my choices for myself, yeah. I had that sort of like, I, had a, I, I, I couldn't quite pick a game. So, like, I had that as, as one of them, though, because, oh, man, that's quality stuff. I loved Screwball Scramble because also, unlike a lot of board games, it was single player. Mm-hmm. And you, you were constantly trying to beat the clock. There was, it, was a, it was a Games Master challenge. It was brilliant. <laughs> My partner, Soul, has an amazing knack for picking up details of things I talk about and, and making them a reality. And one of those was a copy of Screwball Scramble. And the other one was actually getting me the very first record player I ever owned, which was a Fisher-Price record player. Not the little plastic disc one that sounds like a mm-hmm. music box. This was an actual Fisher-Price phonograph. You could play 7 and 12-inch records on it. So I've still got a copy of Screwball Scramble. I've got this exact copy of Screwball Scramble, this version of it. And it still plays. It still plays today. It still looks just That's as good so as cool. it ever did. I don't know if I did get this in 93, but I did have this version of Scruple Scramble. You, I can hear it. I can hear it. I can hear it all going together. And that also when you got the ball in the catapult and it hit the bell, ding. Yeah. Yep. That was a tricky one because you'd think you just had to hit that as hard as possible. But no, there was an ideal strength level where the lever went over without throwing the ball off of the playing field. Oh, such... I tell you, I reckon I might go and unbox it after we're done recording. I'll give it a quick blast. Okay, if you're picking that, then I am going to go back a page. I'm going to go to page 25, if you don't mind, because there is something in that top right corner there that I would absolutely love to have, and I never had it, and I know you do. It is Spears Games atmosphere fancy game my game i am the gatekeeper roll the dice the interactive board game hosted by a video for everyone aged 12 and over think you can win atmosphere i think not a thrilling race against time and the gatekeeper 
Let's party! I mean, this this is still out there. One of our Patreon backers has recently bought the latest iteration of Atmosphere, which you can use a bloody smartphone for. The core mechanic, for the most part, has remained the same. And this is part of a larger field of, like, VHS-based games. There was, what, four, five Atmosphere titles and expansion packs? Mm-hmm. But I've also got a Star Trek one downstairs with Klingons. Oh, cool. Picked it up in a charity shop about a month or so ago for, like, I remember, quid. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that is what I'm picking out, although I can tell you this much, I definitely wouldn't have got it, because if my parents saw on there that it's for ages 12 years and over, I'm eight at this point, not a, not a hell... That's why I never had Atmosphere. When we can be in the same room together, we'll crack Atmosphere <laughs> out and we'll have a game. That'd be great. And if listeners are very unlucky, we might stream it. <laughs> so what have you got next? My next gift is going to be a practical one, but not like a Breville sandwich toaster. We're going to page 21... Mm-hmm. And item number seven. Ah, yes, the Game Boy carry case. I had this carry case. I actually oh, did cool. get it. And that's why I picked it out, because it's not the most aesthetically pleasing case. It's on brand for the Game Boy in that it's grey and has kind of <laughs> textured lines. But in this thing, you could keep the Game Boy, you could keep games, you could keep spare batteries, you could keep an AC adapter... And it kept it all neatly together, and it didn't just rattle around loose. It had very clearly defined slots, and they kind of clipped in. So there was no danger of anything shaking loose during transit. It was great for keeping everything together. And when I was being shipped off to my nans for the weekend, I picked up the Game Boy carry case. I was good to trot. You know the uh, the page opposite that, uh, item number five, the uh, that Competition Pro SNES pad? That's a Mega Drive pad by any other name. I was going to say I had the Mega Drive version. That was the other six-button pad that we had. On the Mega Drive pad, do they still have the four and two configuration that they've got on the SNES pad there? That's a traditional SNES no, layout. No, no, it was a traditional Mega Drive layout. Why didn't they just do that for the SNES? Because for Street Fighter 2, that six-button layout, that's ideal. That, yeah. That's a real missed opportunity to give SNES owners the best of both worlds, really. They've got, sorry, Luke, the better version of Street Fighter 2. Oh, absolutely, yeah. But yeah. the Mega Drive had the better pad. Also, mate, 40 quid for a Game Boy. I mean, you don't get a game with it, but if you get spend an extra tenner, you get Tetris. 50 quid for a Game Boy and Tetris. That's a steal. It's a deal. It's a steal. It's sale of the f***ing century. I... <laughs> that plus a, like, eight-pack of AA batteries, the kids are not going to make a noise all Christmas Day and probably a good chunk of Boxing Day because those Game Boys did run a good five, six hours on a set of AAs if you got the decent ones. Uh, Well, speaking of making a lot of noise, I am going to page 30 here because this would have been the year that this all arrived for me. But in that bottom left-hand corner, particularly item number five, the Jurassic Park playset. It's the Jurassic Park Command Compound with an electronic computer that says over 100 commands. We need more firepower! The computer... Helps you control Jurassic Park. Got him! T-Rex! Attack it! Look out, Cat! Fire the net! Got him! Compound secure. Jurassic Park electronic talking command compound figures and dinosaurs sold separately, batteries not included. I got figures, I got accessories, and I got the playset as well, and it was brilliant. For whatever reason, my parents, whenever they bring this up, tell me that I never played with it. But I think that is a massive load of bollocks because I'm all, I can remember playing with it a heck of a lot because I fucking love Jurassic Park. 
One of the things I remember about the Jurassic Park toy line was the dinosaurs had the kind of real skin. Mm-hmm. They weren't necessarily hard plastic. The T-Rex in particular had a kind of a rubbery skin to it. It's worth noting that on one of the lists I found of the top-selling British toys of 1993, and I say one of them because there's a lot of contention, and this one just listed the top five, so I thought that gives us some room to manoeuvre. Number one is the Talk Boy, which we've talked about before because it's Home Alone, and it's all mm-hmm. tied into that, and it didn't really take off until the year after it was in Home Alone. But number two for the UK toys for 93 was Barbie who has a full half a page. You've got the stars in their hand, you've got the, the horse-drawn carriage. Ah, oh, the Magic House is there as well. But immediately under Barbie was Action Man, who only actually has one entry on this spread of toys. More space is actually given to Terminator 2, Future Wars, Jurassic Park, and bizarrely Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. But I find it fascinating that here we are, when in 1992 the SNES was one of the top toys, the Mega Drive's been a top toy. The Game Boy's been a top toy in previous years. 93, the most expensive toy on the top five is at number five, the Dream Phone, which I don't know if you remember. Oh. Yeah, the, 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 yeah, of course, yeah, the, yeah. the phone the game. dating game for, for teenage girls. Dream Phone, the electronic game with the talking phone. To win, call guys, get clues, figure out which guy really likes you. It's dead! Dream Phone from MB. The, uh, that dream phone game. We uh, when I was working at Game Station, we had the dream phone. We didn't have the game, but we did have the phone. And every now and again, that phone just rings, and it would be a race to who can get there first and pick it up. And it would often like you know give you a bit of information that you would then pass on to the rest of the team, or it would just say, "I know who it is, but I'm not telling." Ha ha. So that is my final pick, Ash. What have you got? So for my final choice, I'm going to go with something that I think I still kind of cover today. And it's on page 31. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a boglin, Luke. Over here, I'm a boglin. Me and my buddies need a place to hide out. (laughs) Come a little closer. Oh, did I scare you? Oh, I do that so well. If you take us home, we'll kiss your Aunt Martha. (laughs) We'll eat your peas. And we hope you know lots of girls. Hey, the name's Boglitz. You sold separately, and we're looking for good homes. Maybe yours. <laughs> oh, look at those little buggers. My cousin had a load of Boglins. Like, you had the mini Boglins, and then you had the kind of blind bag Boglins. But those big ones, they're, they're things that haven't survived well because they were made of foam latex and foam rubber, so they perished over time. Although there has been new iterations that have come out even just recently they came back but they had such a wonderful organic look to them and they had really nice articulated eyes and mouths and of course i was beginning to get into horror Mm -hmm. so they were everything i wanted and i never got one oh yeah right so let's talk about the things that we would have not particularly wanted the sort of items that we were dreading that perhaps a a relative might have got or even uh santa himself might have got you uh what's first on your list see i'm going to go straight to page 26 and it's going to be the paul daniels magic set oh yeah 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 yeah. did you know what luke the peter pan paul daniels magic set yeah because i love magic and i would love to be able to do magic i know like a couple of magicians 
and I am in awe of their skill and talent. But I do not believe there is any way that this Paul Daniels magic set would be the item that would launch me on that career path (laughs) because the tricks are going to be crap, the instructions are going to be worse, and the build quality is going to be questionable. What this is going to be is going to be cringe entertainment generator as a small child version of me tries to get relatives to do card tricks that I don't really know how to do. Yeah, you have sort of practiced it because all you, there's only so much you can practice it on your own before you then try to perform it for the uh, the parents. The one that I remember, I don't know if it's in this set, but the one that is like from these sort of magic, I'm pretty sure it was from a Paul Daniels one, is the egg cup one where you have a uh, you have like three egg cups and you put a ball bearing in one of them and then you make the ball bearing move. And the way that the trick is done is that inside the cap of one of the eggs is half a ball bearing, essentially. It's a plastic sort of rim with half a ball bearing in it, so you can move it and this, that, and the other. And I do remember that trick, but and I remember trying to, to perform it for a parent, but not doing it particularly successfully. So that was my first dreaded pick. What about yours, Luke? Well, funnily enough, mine is literally next to it. It's Spirograph. to a different world with Spirograph. Now, Spirograph's grand and all, and I got Spirograph. But things like Spirograph and there's uh, the sort of the, the color blaster thing that's down there just sort of below it, or, you know, like these art sets, these arts and craft sets. I, I very much appreciate the thought that has gone into giving me these things. The problem is I suck at art and I suck at crafts. And these sorts of things, particularly Spirograph, just reiterated to me that i'm bad at this and also i i got no joy from doing it either my parents got me these things to try and encourage me to be more creative and be better at art and try and think outside of sonic the hedgehog but it it didn't inspire me whatsoever and i never got any joy from them see i'd have loved to have received an actual spirograph but the problem i think i had is i had a number of spirograph styled But, and this is not a complaint that money wasn't spent. This is a complaint that someone thought, I'll get him a Spirograph, but I'll get him this cheap version, which is going to cost less, but will be of poorer construction quality and will therefore invariably break quite easily. (laughs) You know, so it won't be Spirograph, it'll be Gyrospaf or something like that. And, you know, and the pens won't fit properly or the teeth will break off or worse still, the frame that you have to do the rotations in that will snap and you can try and tape it or try and glue it but once it's broken once you're done it's over with knackered now my last one might be a bit controversial because i'm sure there are some people that will decry this all the way back on page four is the gladiator bubble bath and figurehead (laughs) yeah Now, it's got a generic Gladiator contestant plastic head on it, and by the looks of it, that appears to be Jet on the bottle Mm -hmm. itself, which is all fine and dandy. I've no problem with receiving toiletries as a gift. Even as a kid, bubble bath, bottle of matey. Now you're talking. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Bubble ship matey, star year H2O, out of space, out of control. 
trillions of Meiji bubbles. Time to eat skins. They clean dirt without soap. Even meteor grit. I fixed bubble ship, matey. Now, now we, we can, can get clean away. Matey, clean fun, clean kids, clean bath. But the bubble bath that you got with this, and particularly these kind of branded, licensed bubble baths, it was usually all the same goop. It was usually not very pleasant smelling and not very good. And once you'd used it, what did you do with the plastic topper? Yeah. Like matey, if you got enough matey, you could at least make a rudimentary set of skittles. Mm -hmm. It was licensed merch for the sake of there being licensed merch. There was no value from it once you got rid of the bubble bath. And invariably, you wouldn't keep it by the bath with that topper on because it takes up more space than is practical and the emptier it gets, the more likely it is to fall over. Yeah, yeah, they were a bit of a pain. I, I had quite a few of these. I would always get, uh, as you say, sort of the novelty uh, bubble bath things. And yeah, they are sort of like cool for a time because they sit there, but but also the other side of it, where it's like, I quite like having this there. I don't want it to run out because once it runs out, then it's gone and then it just gets thrown away. I will say the exception to the rule are the two next to the Gladiator one because the Noddy bubble bath holder, that's actually a full model of Noddy. If you're yeah, young enough to like Noddy, once you've finished with that bubble bath, that can go in the toy chest probably, make sure it's rinsed out and dried, but that's fine. The Thunderbird 2 bubble bath appears to actually be a model of Thunderbird 2. That's what the description says. That will be great in the toy chest, or maybe it goes with the paddling pool toys. Yeah. You know, and it's it, only £2.15 as well. The Naughty one's a bit more expensive, but when you look at the construction involved, you can see where the extra quid 75 goes. Mm -hmm. So what about your second dreaded gift, probably from a least favourite auntie? My last one that I've got here is that I, in 1993, I certainly would have asked for Aladdin on the Mega Drive, right? I'd have wanted the Aladdin game. The problem with asking for that Aladdin game is that it's 50 quid. However, if you go down to page 28, item number 10, there is an Aladdin Tiger handheld, the LCD electronic handheld game, that is only £15.75. It's the world of Disney's Aladdin, filled with danger, adventure, and magical things. It's all in the new Aladdin handheld game. You can guide Aladdin through the marketplace and into the Cave of Wonders, where he can call on the genie and the magic carpet for help. If you can help Aladdin defeat Jafar and free Jasmine, you win! Disney's Aladdin. Batteries not included. New from Tiger. And there would have been a relative that would have been like, I mean, it's the same thing, right? It was a common trap, and I kind of covered some of those early Tiger games, like the Ninja Turtles one. You know, the one that kind of looks like kind of like a, a Game Boy type thing, green, and it's got the classic original all red bandana artwork on it. I kind of want one of those, but I also don't because it's only ever going to sit on a shelf. It's not playable. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem with things like this, including the one you would likely get. They're not playable. I, uh, I went through a period a couple of years ago where I wanted to get a load of the Tiger Electronics things, but for display purposes, not to, to play them, because sometimes the artwork on them was really lovely. And because they're all the same shape, they're all very uniform. So they would make quite a nice little display. So that's what we want. That's what we feared we'd get. What about what we would get for each other? Because I, right now, 
I'm feeling very smug. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because there's one thing that I I definitely picked out that I was like, well, that's that's got to go on the list. Uh, but Rash, one of them you have said. Uh, I, I'm sorry, I might see if I can find another one, but you have said it. Oh, no, no, no. If I've said it, I think that's a bonus point because it means that you've read me well. I think that's actually yeah. I think that's actually a bonus point. And it was it was Screwball Scramble. It was the, it was the game that I picked out for you. That's a quality choice and I appreciate it. My first one for you was the Sonic the Hedgehog bedspread. I saw that <laughs> and I thought, that's a Luke present. Like, if I could yeah. buy that for Luke now... It's so good though, right? It's so cool. So the other one is, that I've got picked out for you is one that jumped out to me, but I don't know a whole heck of a lot about, but I have done some research into it and I'm feeling even more confident about it now. On page 26, item number 12... Parker's Legend of is it Zagor or Zagor? Who dares challenge Zagor? Hear my voice and despair! The Legend of Zagor, the only talking fantasy game where Zagor's voice will test your courage. Prepare for battle! Move to the dragon's cave! You are brave, even if you are doomed! The Legend of Zagor! Hear my voice and despair! Oh, that does look like a very, very complicated electronic board game. I'm thinking Dark Tower style. Oh, yeah, that 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 definitely um that ticks some boxes. That looks like it could be fun. And the reason why, like, it, obviously, it jumped out to me because it looks like it would be pretty wicked, right? Then I started reading up on it. It is the board game version of a single-player role-playing book written by Ian Livingston as part of the Fighting Fantasy series. This is something that's now going to move off this theoretical Christmas gift list and is going to move on to my eBay search history. And I found it on BoardGameGeek. The description is, Odd game based on the RPG-like mechanics of the fighting fantasy books with the exploration and dungeon crawling of TSR's dungeon. The game has superb plastic miniatures and board and an electronic voice and game modulator similar to MR's The Omega Virus. This game, however, was only produced in Europe. The game has not had much success, in large part because it came a bit late to benefit from the hype of the Hero Quest phenomenon. And while you're reading that out, I was looking how much it costs on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> was it pricey? Oh, I mean, complete, somewhere between about 150 to 300 quid. Oh. That's, those, that's all those bloody miniatures, that is, because, like, looking at Board Game Geek, there's a heck of a lot of miniatures that come with this. I mean, there's one here that's listed as incomplete. And, of course, I suppose the thing is, you're not just wanting to get it with the miniatures. You want them to be unpainted. And also, there's also a, a buttload of tokens in all of this as well. So you've got an undead warlock figure, a merchant shopkeeper figure, one third-level monster, four hero figures, four character sheets, nine first-level monsters... Six second level monsters, two bridges, the portal of doom, skull hall, and then you get into all of the other bits and bobs like 34 gold coins, 46 corridor tiles, 16 room tiles, 55 spell cards, 24 treasure chests, 10 sided dies, 85 equipment tiles, and then just lots and lots and lots of other little small tokens. So, yeah, you want to get this in its full, complete glory. I have found a complete set for 99 euros. One problem it's in Dutch. <laughs> How is your Dutch these days? Slightly worse than my English. My second choice for you is also a board game, and I would have upset your parents with this one, Luke, because I'd have bought you atmosphere. <laughs> yes! Let's party! I mean, who wouldn't get atmosphere, surely? 
but that was a really, really fun little uh, run through the, the Argos catalogue there. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Same. And you know what? I thought that would be shorter than an average episode. Turns <laughs> out, totally wrong, because bloody hell, do we tangent when we want to. But I think that is just about going to do it for this festive Christmas special. I uh, hope you all have a, a bloody lovely Merry Christmas. I don't think we'll do the usual outro spiel where we like plug the Patreon and stuff like that. You can head over to Patreon if you want and onto our Discord. Send us emails, find us on uh, social media and stuff. But I just wanted to wish you all very Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. If you are part of the free feeds, you get a little Christmas present next Tuesday which is our Patreon podcast we did a couple of months ago, reviewing The Crystal Maze. So uh, look out for that in the free feed. If you're one of our Patreon backers, next week you're going to be getting our new and exclusive review of Gladiators, The Battle of the Gladiators. Thank you all so much for listening, and thank you for joining us on this uh, wild rollercoaster that we've had of 2020, uh, a podcast that we started in January of this year. We're nearing our one-year anniversary of, of launching this podcast. Uh, and I want to thank every single person, even if you've only listened to this one episode. Thank you very much. There are a number of podcasts this year that have really helped me keep going at times when I'm going for a walk because keeping exercise, keeping active, it's something we're all meant to do. And listening to a few podcasts, a few certain types of podcasts that just keep my spirits up. They're very important. Things like The Cheap Show, We Hate Movies, Hardcore Gaming 101, which I'll be featuring on two episodes of in the new year. Very Looking nice. Looking forward to very that. Nice. And numerous others. And I really just appreciate how the content is out there and it's helping buoy my spirit. And I feel very humbled that we have received messages saying what I'm feeling about other people about us, that we're yeah. helping them get through the day or that we're helping brighten up a darker time and... There are no words. I, I don't know how to think about this because this didn't start as a podcast that we thought would, you know, become notable in any way. It was kind of something mm -hmm. that you thought you'd like to hear. I thought I'd like to hear. And if other people liked it, cool. There are people on our Discord where we don't know what we're doing, but there was a whole discussion recently about how it's warm and friendly and inviting. And that's great. That's what you want online. There isn't much of it out there. No, not indeed. And like, I, I, we're not particularly active on our Instagram. It's something that I, I want to try and improve on in, in 2021. But there is someone who gets in touch with us quite a bit on Instagram because they've been using us uh, while they've been going out walking. And one of the notifications I got from them recently was that they listened to us on days 193, 194 and 195. They've accumulated a distance of 1055.3 miles while they've been walking. And our podcast has helped them along that way. And that's really, really lovely. That is really nice. That is going to do it for this episode. We will see you in seven days' time, and then in another seven days' time after that, when we're back on the Games Master timeline as we uh, plow on into Series 3. Games Master Live 93 is coming up very soon, in fact. I mean, definitely coming up very soon. We've already recorded it. We've already recorded that one. <laughs> I've still got to edit it. <laughs> <laughs> but take care, everyone. See you soon. Happy Christmas.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.